Thank you, Audrey. Folks, let's pray. Uh, Father, would you open our hearts to receive your word? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I am, I'm going to preach from up here, if that's okay. I had asked a number of people, do you like if I preach it from the floor, or do you think I should maybe preach from up on the platform? Because uh, I kind of like being on the floor, because you're kind of with everybody. But a number of people said, actually, it's hard to see you sometimes, and it'd be really nice to see you. So I'm going to preach from up here today. Maybe I'll preach on the floor next week, I don't know. But right now we're up here. This is a bit of a heavy, heavy portion of scripture, isn't it? It's a bit of a hard one. Um, but it's really, really good for us. And it's really important. A couple weeks ago, James, uh, the passage that we were in, talked about the power of our words. Do you remember that? We talked about the steering power of our words. We talked about uh, the potential for our words to speak evil or the potential for our words to speak good and speak peace. And all of that is, is a lesson in wisdom. How do we use our words as people and as Christians to bring about the kingdom of God in the world. And now James gets to a kind of a deeper issue, which is disagreements or conflicts within the church, which isn't very fun to talk about, but there it is. And I think this is important because we live in an age, don't we, where uh, if something goes wrong in church, it is far too easy and far too simple, thank you, Keith, for uh, to just leave, right? Uh, there's lots of churches around, so you leave a church and kind of go shop for a new church, go to the church down the street or whatever it might be. Uh, it's much easier to leave the relationships and find a new place than it is to work out reconciliation and forgiveness. And this is true in family and friendships and all over the place, but it's also true in the church. So he looks at, at three different things, and this is what I want to kind of focus on. First, James looks at the root of the fighting, the root of the conflict. What's going on in these people's hearts? And then he talks about God's response to it, and then he uh, invites us to return to God. So it's kind of a three-part sermon idea. There's, a, there's the root, there's God's response, uh, and then there's the return. There's the root of our conflict, God's response to our conflict, and then a return to him out of the conflict. So let's look at the first part. This is the root part. And this is kind of the first few verses, uh, probably verses one to four. So if you've been in church for some time, uh, it's almost 100% certain that you've encountered some measure of conflict along the way, some sort of disagreement. Uh, the old joke used to be, you know, the, the verse where two or three are gathered in in your name, in my name, there I am in the midst of them, right? Where two or three are gathered, there's where Jesus is. On the flip side, sometimes people joke where two or three are gathered, there is conflict, you know? Uh, whenever you get people together, eventually you end up butting heads at some point. And that's just going to happen. And that's not because the church is like a terrible idea. It's God's idea, right? That we gather together as Christians and as believers. It's God's idea. But the reality is we are sinners being saved by grace. We're saved by grace, but we are still not perfect, not made completely whole, uh, not quite living out the way we wish we were all the time. Though, thank, thank you, Jesus, we're saved. There's still work to be done in our hearts, and I know this uh, very personally in myself as well. I am not uh, always the person that I wish I was, right? And I mean, you look in the mirror and you go, man, uh, I wish I was a little different. Uh, I wish I hadn't said that yesterday, you know, or whatever it might be. So, and Paul makes this point all through his letters. He says, you know, sometimes uh, we have this new identity in Christ, but sometimes we, we don't actually live it out. 
we know we've been saved, that Christ is transforming our hearts, that he's begun a new work of new creation within us. We know all that, uh, but sometimes we don't live out our identity. We don't live out our Christ-like identity. We kind of forget who we are. And that, I think, is what's going on in this congregation here. James says, at the root of your conflict, there's a war within yourself. Take a look at the first couple verses with me. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What does that mean? Your passions are at war within you. What it means is your your passions or your desires, the things you want in life, are not God-centered, they're self-centered, or they're they're, uh, rather than being selfless, they're turned inward upon yourself. Now, obviously sometimes there's conflicts that come out because of a difference over, say, a doctrinal issue, right? A church might believe different things, and so one church says, you know, we actually can't go on with this, and we need to split apart. And sometimes that's for good reasons, sometimes that's for poor reasons. Uh, sometimes the church might uh, split up over some kind of relationship issue, right? So something's up with the pastor or something, and a bunch of people leave. But more and more often, actually, conflict happens because of a different approach to ministry, different approach to what living out the Christian life uh, looks like. And James says, your conflicts here, the reason you're quarreling is because you're actually out of sync with God. You're out of step with Him. Your expectations or your wishes, they're more self-centered than they are God-centered, and that's why you don't look any different from unbelievers, and it's causing all sorts of conflict. Um, if you've grown up in church, there's also a chance you've maybe been part of a church split, or you've endured a church split. Uh, if you've grown up in this church, I don't know if we've had a church split in our history. I don't think we have. Um, but I, I started going to church to a uh, little church in Eagle River, little Baptist church in Eagle River, when I first uh, was becoming a Christian. And we went through a church split. I don't know how old I was. I'm looking for my mom. She's got to know us somewhere. I was probably five or six or something. And our church went through a church split. And I didn't really know what the issues were. It started as like a doctrinal thing. People were believed different things, it seemed. But you know what happens. Pretty soon it spilled over into a relationship issue, right? So people were upset with each other. And there's all kinds of... It kind of sounded like... James 4.1, there was quarreling and fighting and conflict and all that stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we ended up being part of the group that left. And, you know, the Lord redeemed that in many ways, that, that through that process, we started coming to this church, which in the end was part of me going to college and eventually coming back here. And now we're pastoring the church. So, you know, the Lord takes these things that uh, are not good and uses them for his glory. It doesn't mean the split was good. Um, but the Lord redeems that. And that's, that's a good hopeful thing for you, whatever you're going through. Uh, the hard things in life, the Lord can redeem those and transform them for his glory. And he's really good at that. But, but clearly there's a measure of unforgiveness that can happen, right? And there's people that can go their whole lives going through conflict and never knowing how to forgive. This is my grandpa Cain. My grandpa Cain uh, had a bit of a temper. Uh, he was in World War II. Uh, he had been a prisoner of war at one point. He came back from the war. He never really talked about his feelings, never really talked about the war. Uh, kind of kept it all inside. And uh, there was times where he was quite friendly and fun to be around. And then there was times where he would say something that would be really mean and really hurtful. 
Uh, and I think he knew it, and you knew it, uh, but you knew he was never going to apologize for that. Uh, you would just have to bear the hurt. And so there was a measure of unforgiveness that my grandpa kind of fostered in his relationships. And uh, actually, I don't feel, personally, I don't, I think that changed later on when he passed away, but I never personally kind of was able to reconcile with him and some of the things he'd said when I was a kid. So we do this, folks. We, we can begin to build our identity around the conflicts that happen in our lives. You can begin to build a victimized identity around the disagreements in the relationships that you have with people. So much so that it's difficult to seek reconciliation and forgiveness because your identity is so much uh, anchored in the fact that I was hurt by you and that's who I am. And some of you know this really well and some of you have been around people who know this well. It, to, to work through a process of forgiveness or reconciliation would fundamentally change part of their identity. And so it's hard to even begin to walk that road because you're just so used to being this hurt and wounded person deep down. James says, look, we can carry huge amounts of regret and pain. It can lead to all sorts of conflict. But part of what's at the root here is that your desires or your passions are at war within you. And what he means by that is that we can have, we can have a, a desire that is not God-centered, even as Christians, but a desire to protect ourselves and seek our own good first and foremost. And that leads to all sorts of issues. All sorts of issues. Now, isn't it interesting, James says, you adulterous people. I feel like that's really strong. <laughs> you adulterous people. Like, does it mean that a few of them are cheating on their spouses? Probably. But I don't think it just means that. I think there's something else going on. I think what James is saying is, look, your, your desires are at war within you. Your desires are not set on God. What that means is your desires or your passions or your loves are aimed or directed at someone or something else. And if God is meant to be your first love, if God is meant to be in some ways a, a faithful covenant spouse, then to seek love and meaning and fulfillment somewhere else is to commit adultery. See how that works? So James is saying you become adulterous because you're not seeking to find your life's meaning and purpose in God. You're seeking it somewhere else. Your, your passions are at war within you. And so this, because you're seeking your own self-interest, you're seeking to, to make your life not about what God wants to be, but about something else. You're seeking to kind of keep control of things. Because of that, your desires are all out of whack. And this is leading to all kinds of conflicts and issues in, in your relationships and in the church and all sorts of things. Instead of finding your life and meaning and grace in God and letting that love kind of spill out into everyone and all your relationships, you're trying to seek your life and your identity apart from God. And that's going to let conflict and disagreement and brokenness shatter and fragment all your relationships. So these folks are adulterous because at the root of their conflict is a desire to seek pleasure or fulfillment apart from God. And that can feel really good for a short time to seek to live by the thrills, uh, by the pleasures that our world can offer us. Um, but I will tell you, there comes a point where those are deeply, deeply shallow. There's nothing of them. They're empty. They're vain. And James says you need to get back to God. The behavior of your heart 
The behavior you live out is always a reflection of what's going on in your heart. So are your loves out of whack? I know this is a bit abstract, but think for a second, uh, what are the indicators of this? Would I rather breed disagreement uh, or conflict with the people I love? Like what do my words bring about in my family, in my friendships, in the church? Am I breeding conflict or am I breeding life? That's one way of thinking about it. Uh, another way of thinking about it might be, um, do I, when I pray, do I just ask God to fulfill all my needs? Or do I pray and try and submit to what God would want for me? Do I use God kind of like a genie? You know, Lord, I wish for this and I wish for that. Or do I say, Lord, I want to submit to you. And one's, one reveals a passion for God and one reveals a passion just to seek my own interests. Does that make sense? So James gets right to the root of their conflict. No, notice he doesn't say, well, here's the issue. He doesn't even talk about what the issue is. He doesn't say, well, actually, you know, this guy and this guy are right and that guy's wrong. He kind of avoids all of that and just says, look, at, at the heart of, of these conflicts in your life is, is, a, is the fact that your desires and your passions are at war. You're not centered on God and you're not willing to forgive and reconcile with one another. And it's causing all sorts of issues. So that's the root. He identifies the root of that conflict. And, and folks, we've all lived this at some point or another, is that we've lived our lives out of sync with what God wants for us. Now that is really depressing. <laughs> this would be a terrible spot to end the sermon. Uh, your passions are all in whack, and it's terrible. But look at where it goes from here. He talks about the root. Uh, he talks about how we can live... Uh, Apart from God, we can be friends with the world and therefore be at enmity with God. All these really kind of drastic statements about how far we can go from God. All sorts of issues. And then he turns to a solution. So look at verses 5 and 6 with me. What is God's response to all this conflict that's happening in the church? James says, do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says, he, this is God, God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in you. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How does God respond to our conflicts? When we're a mess in our own hearts, and we're a mess as a people, how does God respond? Does he, does he condemn us? Does he give up on us? No, he's jealous for us, and he has grace. He gives more grace to us. Isn't that wonderful? When God sees the brokenness in your heart, he doesn't say, well, you are just a terrible person and I'm done with you. He says, actually, I'm jealous for the relationship and the intimacy that we are meant to have together. I'm jealous for that. And I'm going to give you more grace so that you can walk through this and we can enter into new life together. An incredible promise. God is going to bring about that work of reconciliation and restoration in your heart as you open yourself to him. So when we're at war in ourselves or we're at conflict with others, friends, don't forget this, that God not only loves you, but he's jealous for that relationship with you. He loves, he loves to love you. And he wants to give you the grace to walk through whatever it is you're going through. Grace is that generous overflow of love from the creator to his creation. We see that most fully in Jesus. So, James has gotten to the root of the issues, right? He says, look, sometimes we're, we're fighting, but there's a deeper issue is because we're at war in ourselves. We're not seeking God, we're seeking something else. That's the root of the thing. 
And then he says, but you know what? Even when you're in that place, when your life's kind of all out of whack and, and you're seeking you know, to fulfill your own self, you're seeking your own sin, you know you shouldn't go there, but you do anyway, you're living down that road. When you're in the middle of that, God comes to you jealous for your love and full of grace. That's uh, the second part. So he said the root, the root is this, this war within yourself, but God's response is, is a jealous love and a grace for you. And then he calls us, calls us away from the adultery and the conflict, away from the warring passions. He calls us back to God, back to getting our life and our passions back in order. And James says the way you do this, the way you return to God when all this is happening in your life is through humility. It's through humility. Take a look at verse uh, 7. I'll read verse 6 again. God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the who? To the humble. And so then then there's this this long list of things that you can do. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, etc., 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 right? Be, be wretched. This is kind of hard. We don't talk about this in church very often. Be wretched and mourn and weep. What he means is, is be honest about the gravity of your sin. That's what he's talking about. Come with humility back to God and say, God, like, this is terrible. This is terrible. This is repentance. This is repentance. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, that doesn't mean there's no joy or laughter in the Christian life, but he's saying don't be naive about the depth and the issues of your own sin in your heart. You need to be honest about those, says James. And what happens when we do that through humility? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and what? What's he say at the end? He will exalt you. So there's a downward motion as we humble ourselves before the Lord in repentance and grace, and then God comes with his grace, and he begins to exalt us. Do you see how that works? James gives us, I think there's like 10 imperatives there, right? And you can underline all these. I like to write in my Bible. Maybe that's terrible. I don't know. I've written it anyway. Lord, forgive me. But you can write in your Bible. It's really okay. Um, I underlined submit, resist, draw, cleanse, purify, be wretched, mourn, weep, let. There's all sorts of imperatives, all sorts of commands that we can live out as we return to God. And I'm going to, maybe, maybe one of those stands out to you. Maybe you need uh, this week to submit to God. Maybe you need to purify yourself. Maybe you need to cleanse yourself. Um, Maybe you need to resist the devil. You've just let him kind of run rampant with temptation in your life. Maybe you need to resist him. We had spent time on all of those, but you know, the one that really stood out to me as I was preparing for this Sunday was the draw near to God bit. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Isn't that beautiful? When I'm in a place of conflict, and brokenness and sinfulness, I can turn and I can hear God's heart and its grace and its love. As I come towards him, he comes to me. You know, it was interesting last week when, uh, when Randy was sharing, if you were here, Randy Michael was here last week, and he brought up the illustration of the prodigal son. And a few days before, I had been thinking about the prodigal son because it's a perfect illustration of this point. The son uh, is forsaken his father, right? He's, he's followed his own passions and his own pleasures. Sound familiar? Right? Your passions are at war within you. So he sought his own thing, and he's left the family, and his loves are all out of whack, and he's had all kinds of broken relationships, right? Just like the beginning of this passage in James. And eventually, the son comes to his senses, and he says, I'm going to go back to my father, 
And of course, he doesn't expect to be received, right? He says, I'm not going to go back and expect to be a son. Maybe, maybe my dad will let me be a, a slave. Maybe I'll, I'll, you know, I can still be in the home and I'll have some sort of place, but it'll be menial. And, uh, you know, I can't expect to have the favor of the father again. And so he, he begins, right, to draw near to God, to draw near to the father with humility and repentance, doesn't he? He begins to draw near to the Father. And as he, as he gets to the end of his long journey, and he gets to the end of the driveway, and he passes the mailbox, and he starts going down the driveway, and he sees the family homestead in the distance, and Dad's sitting on the porch, and Dad gets up and sees him coming. And with tears streaming down his face, comes running for his son and embraces him. As the son is drawing near to his father, the father begins to draw near to the son. And this is what James is saying here. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Isn't that wonderful? Even with all this stuff in your life, just like, just like the son, just like the son here, right? He's been squandered his life. He's lived ridiculously, terribly, made a waste of things. Uh, his passions are all at war within himself. He doesn't know what he wants. Finally, he gets his senses back. He thinks, oh, I'll never have forgiveness, but at least I can try and come home. But as he draws near with that repentance, that humility, the Father comes for him. You know, uh, the little titles in your Bible, um, those aren't part of Scripture. You can erase those and put in new ones. I like to do that. Uh, so in the section called The Prodigal Son, I just crossed it out and I put The Faithful Father. Because it's more about the Father than it is about the Son, isn't it? It's more about the heart of the Father than it is about the Son. See, in God's kingdom, friends, the most broken and evil person can be redeemed and made whole and come home to him. So draw near to God. Turn away from the, the pigsty, as it were, whatever the false pleasures are, whatever the stuff is in your life that you know you need to get rid of, and take the road back to the Father. And God promises that he'll come rushing for you, rushing for you with that jealous love for you, and his grace, his grace and his heart for you. What are the implications of some of this? First, James talked about the root of our conflicts, right? The root of our conflicts is a disordered love or an unsettled relationship with God. So I need to ask, are, are there quarrels or conflicts in your life with someone? And may I suggest that at the heart of that issue, there might be a deeper, a deeper root thing going on. It may be that you've built an identity around being the victim in that relationship. It's easier to stay angry and let that shape your life than to enter into reconciliation and forgiveness. It really, really is. But friends, that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to die to yourself and learn to love the other, isn't it? So friends, uh, if there's conflict in your life or there's issues that have been going on, I invite you to begin to take the steps towards love and reconciliation and hope. Begin to walk that out. As difficult as that might be, seek to do that with those that have hurt you or those that have been upset with you, whatever that might be. But don't let that hurt in your life, friends, become the root of your identity. The root of your identity is to be Christ himself. And he'll do that in you. The second part is, uh, is God's response and that return to God. And so the question for us is, uh, are you drawing near to God? He wants to draw near to you, but are you drawing near to him? And if you're not doing that, 
I would suggest you make a point of doing that every day. Every day. Say, Lord, I want to draw near to you. I want to come to you. And, and, and I, need to, I need to come with humility. I maybe need to cleanse my hands and purify my, my thoughts, whatever it might be. But Lord, I come to you today. And friends, he promises that he will come uh, with his grace and his mercy and receive us. Incredibly, incredibly beautiful. Friends, our sin breaks relationships and fellowship and it brings death. But God brings restoration and life and forgiveness. That's his heart for you. So if there's issues going on in your heart or you know you need to draw near to him, I encourage you, begin to make those things right and then press into him. All your fervor, all of your life, press into him, draw near to him with humility and faithfulness. He promises he'll draw near to you. Just like that father coming for the son. <laughs> Friends, as we, uh, as we come to the table, may that be a reminder for us today that as we come up to receive, uh, that we're receiving uh, a piece of bread, a little bit of juice, but these are symbols body and the blood of Christ for you. And they're symbols very intentionally of something that you eat, something that you take inside of you, and then becomes transformed into your life. You understand how food works, right? You take it into yourself, and it becomes part of your body. It becomes transformed into life, giving sustenance for you. And that's what's happening at the table. We say, Lord, I come to you now. I need you to nourish me and sustain me. Come into me transform my life from the inside out. Let's pray together as we head to the table. Lord, thank you for your word to us. And I pray, Father, that uh, uh, all of us, Lord, have struggles in our hearts when it comes to living for you. Um, All of us, Lord, whether we're Christians or not, uh, have this choice to pursue our own passions and our own desires or to submit to you and find our true life and our true hope in you. And I pray this morning, Lord, uh, that if we've been harboring unforgiveness or we've, we have been ones to bring conflict or quarreling, uh, or Lord, we've made, a, made our identity around being a victim uh, of disagreement or in a relationship. Father, I pray that you would move into those places. Lord, those places in our hearts that are hurting, where there's brokenness, where there's unforgiveness, and I pray you would bring grace and healing in life. Lord, I pray that we would draw near to you, that we would open ourselves to you with humility. Lord, we'd submit to you, that we would, we would actively choose to resist the devil and draw near to you. Lord, that our hearts would be drawn to you. And as we make that movement of realigning our passions, not on what the world would have, but on you, Lord, as we do that work, you would begin to draw near to us. Lord, you're already there waiting for us as we turn our hearts to you. So, Father, I pray that as we head into this week, Lord, that you would bring to our mind the places in our lives where we've been drawing away from you, and you encourage us, show us, Lord, how to reset our focus and our attention back on you, Jesus. I pray you do that in each and every one of us. In your name, amen.